You're walking down the hall, alone. Your shoes squeak against the hard, seamless flooring. You have a sense of otherworldly dread, a feeling of looming over a drop so far you can't see the bottom, but you can't remember why. Where are you? You can't remember that either. The feeling of dread is absolutely oppressive. It's weighing you down as if to pull your soul into the underworld. But wait, that feeling, it's not dread weighing you down. It's a backpack full of heavy textbooks. You're in your high school. You're alone in the hall because you're late for class. That's right, now you remember. You had to go back to high school because it turns out you never actually finished. There was an error with the paperwork in the high school office, and somehow they let you graduate even though you never took the final exam in your hardest class, Russian calculus. You have to go back and take the exam, and if you don't pass, you'll be stuck in high school forever. Let's see, what did we learn in Russian calculus? You can barely recall some vague Cyrillic operating symbols. What was the division symbol? No time to think about it. You sprint to the classroom where they're holding the exam. Once you get there, you remember you're not the only one. Your next door neighbor, Jimmy, who's 74 years old and illegally burns trash in a metal drum in his backyard, he also has to come back and take the Ruskal exam. Jimmy asks, did you study? You did not. And that coffee shop barista with the Optimus Prime tattoo who you went on a date with a couple of years ago, they're here too, except now they're dating your childhood best friend. And who's administering the exam? That's right. It's your old Ruskal teacher, Christopher Lambert. <laughs> Mr. Lambert is asking everyone to take their seats. The panic rushes up from your gut into your throat. Is there any way out of this? Your hand bolts up. Mr. Lambert calls on you. He says, yes, what is it? And the whole class turns to look at you, scrutinizing, crinkling their noses in pity and disgust at what they see. Then you realize you're not sitting at a desk. Your pants are down and you're sitting on a toilet. In the middle of the classroom, why would they put a toilet here? But no time to wonder about that. The class is laughing viciously at your shame and Christopher Lambert is passing out the exams. You didn't bring a pencil. Sandra Bullock won't let you borrow one. Neither will Ken Griffey Jr. The test is starting. Mr. Lambert yells, eyes on your own paper. A single tooth falls from your mouth and lands on page one. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And obviously you can tell that we are going to be talking about the one, the only, the high school horror dream. Yeah, yeah, the uh, w which is really the worst. I, I have a <laughs> lot of disdain for the uh, the high school dream because and I'll get into more of it later but but basically it's like when you when you go when you dream you can do anything you can be anything like this is the place where lucid dreaming is possible where all the boundaries uh, can dissolve and all the limitations that you know in the waking world uh, can just be swept away and you can ascend into the skies of being of pure light and energy uh, but instead, what does our mind do when we slumber so much of the time? We have dreams like this. We, uh, you know, dreams that are just cobbled together out of the mundane garbage of our lives into a form that does not uh, fill us with wonder or even, even terror. 
You know, like well, I, for a lot of people, it fills them with terror. It uh, depends. They're sort of like they're sort of like low stress, low anxiety, high school dreams. Mm-hmm. But when you read a lot of people's accounts of these, they like they wake up in a cold sweat. They're absolutely petrified. This is something that I think is worth discussing a little bit because uh, when you when when you look at at the surveys of what people have dreamt about, and there are different ways of conducting those surveys, so it's uh, you know, there's going to be a fair amount of uh, variety there. Anyway, and it's, a lot of it's also going to depend on who you're talking to, mm-hmm. uh, as we've discussed on, on the on the show before. A lot of studies like this, especially uh, psychological studies, they're often conducted with college students mm-hmm. uh, in small sample sizes, and that brings a you know it brings a lot of limitations in what kind of life experiences the dreams then are are ascending from. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I was looking around a little bit thinking about, okay, it seems like we're often not talking about nightmares. There's this like a variety of dream that is, you know, filled with anxiety or even dread without actually really breaking over into this realm that we think of uh, as the domain of nightmares. I guess that depends on the definition you'd use because I've always thought of nightmares as including dreams that are not like, uh, you know, like immediate physical peril. I mean, there are violent dreams that people mm-hmm. obviously think of as nightmares. Like one of the most common themes of of bad dreams is being chased by something. Right. Uh, but there, you know, a huge number of people's really bad dreams are about like, or about like public embarrassment or about things like having to go back to school and face some kind of scrutiny or examination. Yeah, but yet when you look at the surveys uh, that deal with the content of nightmares, uh, we don't often see, uh, you know, a real definite place for the school dream. For instance, uh, in the 1930s, psychologist uh, Holsey Kaysen conducted a survey of nightmares and found their contents to be uh, like 27% dealing with animals, uh, 27% being chased, death and murder at 26%, and then it goes down to like 22% home and family, 21% uh, falling, and then miscellaneous 19%, accidents 17%. Mm. And you see similar things with other surveys. There's a Harvard psychologist, Deidre Barrett's uh, 1988 survey, and it uh, said like being chased was 72%, death of family members and friends 64%, falling 53%. Uh, monsters and or animals made it on there at 33%, war, violent crimes, natural disaster 24%. And there, there have been others that, that kind of match this this sort of thing. You know, it's like physical harm, physical danger. Um, I did find a, a 2010 German study from the Central Institute of Mental Health in Mannheim, Germany, that uh, said nightmares, okay, 40% falling, 26% being chased, 25% feeling paralyzed, uh, but also 24% being late to an important event which definitely lines up with a lot of what we're talking about here because so often the content is I am I am late to the exam, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or I have uh, or I've let time slip away in advance of the exam. So, yeah, I, it is going to come back to like how do we classify nightmares and what do we think of uh, uh, when we think of nightmares and then after we've had one of these school dreams, uh, how we classify it. But I think there's a strong case to be made that that what we're talking about here isn't a nightmare, and yet at the same time, I myself find myself at times wishing it were, because at least if it were a nightmare, 
it would it would feel more more potent. You know, it would feel like it's maybe doing something that it's cathartic in a way that matters instead of being this just ridiculous rehearsal for a thing uh, that is that is not going to occur. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, this brings us back to a question. Of course, we're going to have to touch on throughout the episode today, and unfortunately, we're not going to be able to answer in any definitive way. But like, what is the purpose of the content of dreams, mm-hmm. if anything, to begin with? Right. Uh, I mean, do that. We know that like sleep and dreaming are obviously important for some kind of neurological function, but we don't know if the contents of dreams are important, and we don't know if they are important. Why are they important? What do they do? Right. And, and yeah, once you – you can sort of divide it into two schools of thought where it's either the contents of the dreams do matter or they don't. Right. Um, and when you get into the various arguments for them actually mattering and then you get into various divisions, uh, on the, the show we've discussed the, the writings of uh, Frederick Van Eden in the past who uh, in 1913 wrote Study of Dreams. Uh, and this was a, a book that outlined lucid dreaming, for instance. But – you know, he covered everything from, uh, you know, ordinary dreams to symbolic dreams, demon dreams, uh, mm-hmm. and more. So, yeah, it depends on it depends on what, what view you're taking. Either the content matters or it doesn't. And then if it, if it does matter, there's so many ways to unpack that. But I would say actually whether the content of dreams matters or not, like whether what you dream about actually has adaptive value in mm-hmm. life or whether it's just sort of like a, a byproduct of something going on in the brain and, you know, the – what happens in a dream has no effect on life or no mm-hmm. positive effect. Either way you split it, it's an interesting question to ask, why do we dream about the things that we dream about? Right. Like, why is that the content, whether it's adaptive or not? Well, it, it comes back to the nightmare thing. Like, it, so much of the time, I feel like the, the school, you know, sometimes we, we do have traumatic events uh, in our school history. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we don't. And yet, that's the stuff that still remains like so potent to us in our dreams. And I think that can be the irritating thing. Like, why am I still dreaming about this thing? This thing is solved. High school for, you know, is solved. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's, I've, I've, I've been out of it for, you know, decades. Why do I still return to it in dream? Yeah. What is it about that experience or that time in my life? Maybe the plasticity of my mind that, that makes that the, 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 the fabric of my dreams. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about a few common variations, I think, just from what I've read anecdotally. Uh, the, I've not been able to find a rigorous study characterizing the, the nature of school anxiety dreams, but I have found some informal collections of anecdotes. And based on that, I would have to say some very common dreams are uh, I have to go back to high school and finish a class or a test that I never finished and I don't know in like there's the knowledge that I am an adult, but I have to go back and do this. Yes, I've definitely done that one. I've, I've definitely had that one. And I've done that one to a certain extent because I went back after college and taught high school at the high school that I attended. Wow. So I kind of had this weird like I was kind of living the dream uh-huh. in the worst way possible. <laughs> and so I will sometimes have dreams that are – I'm. it's sometimes a little vague as to whether I am dreaming about teaching high school at my old high school mm-hmm. or I'm dreaming about attending the high school or having to go back and take a class that I didn't finish, that sort of thing. What age were you when you were teaching at that high school? I mean I was – fresh out of college. So I was, uh, you know, early 20s, early 20s. Oh, yeah. So that might come back later when we talk about uh, different periods of life and the formation of memories that that might be relevant to your case here. 
Um, so uh, another thing that is extremely common, in fact, just before we started off, we were talking to our producer today, Seth, and he was saying that he's had this dream. I've had this dream. I've talked to tons of people who have had this dream who have been out of school for decades, and it's this. It's the end of the semester. There's a class that I forgot I was enrolled in and I haven't been going to. And now I suddenly remember, oh, no, I'm in this class and I've got to go take the final exam. Yeah, I, I have done that one as well where I, I missed the deadline to drop the class mm-hmm. uh, and or just forgot that I had it entirely. And and it'll like summon like a, a mental calendar of when your classes are, and it's usually usually something like, oh, it was a Wednesday morning class, yeah, and it was it was sandwiched between two other classes, and somehow I just missed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get the exact same calendar effect. Actually, mm-hmm. I think about like, oh, I wasn't going because I was doing this other thing at this time of the week, and I just forgot repeatedly that I had this class. Now I suddenly remember, and uh, and my chicken is cooked. I mean, they're <laughs> like. It, there's no way I'm going to pass this exam. Uh, other common things that I've found reported uh, are difficulty with navigating the school environment. Mm-hmm. So being in high school or being in college and being unable to find the classroom. So you're like running around and you're late for the class and you're trying to get there, but you can't find the door or you can't get in. Mm, I've never had that one. I, 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 yeah, it's it's weird how, you know, the, our experiences will, will vary. I feel like that one I've never had. Like mm-hmm. I've never had a problem getting to the dream classroom in a dream. Another big one I think is school-based embarrassment, dreaming mm-hmm. about like being embarrassed in front of a classroom or in front of classmates or like having to give a presentation in front of a class mm-hmm. and not being prepared or being embarrassed some way. See, I, I, the weird thing is I don't have any of those related to uh, actual class experiences, mm-hmm. but, I, but since I was in um, theater... I do have dreams related to productions that I haven't learned my lines yes, for. Yes, I have the same dreams. Mm-hmm. I did theater in high school, and yeah, I, I very frequently dream that I suddenly remember, oh, yeah, I'm in a play that's opening tonight, and I haven't looked at my lines yet. Right. How about this one? This is a weirder one, but I feel like it, I hear this one pretty often, uh, sort of blending of school with the workplace or with the current friend group and blending of, like, old teachers with bosses. You get this? No, I don't really get that one. No, mm, okay. I, get, I get the blending of workplaces to a certain extent because I, I'll have dreams where I didn't actually fully quit my previous job. I've mm-hmm. kind of like kept one foot in it somehow. Right. And I, But I have to like keep going back to do like the bare minimum to still be a part of the previous employers. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I always just kind of analyze that as being like it's about fear of change it's about fear of like entering any kind of new phase in life uh, this dream rehearsal in which i never actually leave any step behind you know mm-hmm. where uh, i'm 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 managing to keep you know one foot on on every stone that uh, uh, traverses the pond or the stream i can absolutely see that yeah general dreams about not just school but school being one example of like being drawn back into a previous stage of life mm-hmm. like you can't you can't move on to the next thing yeah yeah all right well maybe we should take a break and then when we come back we can uh, analyze the school dream a little more all right we're back so you know in our cold open uh, you added the bit about a uh, uh, tooth falling out. Uh-huh. And uh, Seth, our producer, he uh, he mentioned that he has had dreams in which his, his teeth fall out in like, uh-huh. a school anxiety dream. Uh, I've never had a dream where, where teeth fall out, which 
Really? Which is is weird because I mean, like dental anxiety has was it was kind of part of my upbringing mm-hmm. uh, because my, you know my father was a dentist. Uh, you know, I remember like seeing slides of uh, awful teeth when I was a kid, and and even today, like I'll you know I'll uh, you know I, I you know I'm 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 getting older. I think about my my dental health, and mm-hmm. I and I regularly read uh, articles that are um, discussing uh, correlation between. Um, uh, like dental hygiene uh, situations and say things like Alzheimer's. Uh-huh. So, I mean, there's plenty of of, of uh, fuel there for the fire, and yet that never happens in my dreams. Oh, that's interesting. Now, of course, th- the teeth falling out dream goes way back, and you've got all kinds of like Freudian takes on yeah. that and stuff where it's, you know, it's metaphorical for some kind of like wish or anxiety that you have. Whether dreams are actually metaphorical in those ways I think is an unsettled question. Mm-hmm. But uh, but but it's certainly – they could be. And if they are, yeah, it could be that maybe you don't really suffer from the underlying anxiety that drives whatever causes people to think about their teeth falling out in dreams. Maybe the teeth falling out in dreams is not normally about teeth. That, that's if the like metaphor theory of dreams is true, which we right. don't know if it is. Now, my hand has fallen off in a dream before. Oh, really? But, but yeah, never the teeth. Well, so back to the school dream, we know at least anecdotally just from talking to people that it it seems pretty common for adults who have been out of school for a long time to keep having these recurring dreams about school. Uh, Even, you know, I've I've talked to people who are in their 60s who still have these dreams, (laughs) uh, which is not – I'm not looking forward to that for the rest of my life, Mm -hmm. but – Oh, well. Uh, And so the question is, like, is it really all that common? Again, we are going to be dealing here with the problems that are common to all kinds of psychological studies, which is often there is not enough data about, say, the entire world. And, you know, we get like the weird focus, right? Yes. Weird science, but not in the fun way. Uh, uh, Weird standing for Western educated and from industrialized rich and democratic countries. Just meaning that like in lots of studies, especially lots of psychological studies, there is a disproportionate representation of people in that sort of category. A lot of times because these studies are done at like Western research universities. Right. And that brings up the potential criticism. Well, of course, all these people were having dreams about exams and exam anxiety. They are college students. Right. There's not any mystery at all why college students would be dreaming about uh, school and college and exams. And of course, studies find that, yes, college students do dream about that a lot. Just one example, a 2003 study in the journal Dreaming found among Canadian university students that dreams about the category known as school teachers and studying were the fourth most common typical theme of dreams out of a list of like 50-something Uh, common themes of dreams, but they're Canadian college students. That just doesn't seem very surprising at all. But studies including like older populations have also found that school dreams remain very common. Uh, Just to cite one example from the journal Dreaming in 2014 by uh, Mathis, Shreddle, and Goritz called Frequency of Typical Dream Themes in Most Recent Dreams, an online study. They had a big sample collected online. Uh, It was 2,853 participants. Uh, They did a survey about the themes of recent dreams people had, and this was based on a a common dream theme inventory that has like a list of commonly cited themes, and you can check off which ones apply to you in recent dreams. 
Uh, and they, they said that their findings were mostly consistent with other studies showing prevalence of dream themes in different populations. They ended up ranking dream themes by prevalence, and dreams about school, teachers, and studying was actually the fifth most common category of dreams by theme overall. Uh, I found that the entire list of 10 was kind of interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, six is arriving too late, which could be very, very well be couched in the same area. Right. And then you, if you have a dream that, you know, more than one applies to, you can check both, right? Yeah. So uh, the, let's do the whole list. Number 10, swimming. Number nine, being physically attacked. Number eight, a person now alive being dead. Number seven, a person now dead being alive. Number six, arriving too late. Number five, school, teachers, and studying. Number four, sexual experiences. Number three, being chased or pursued. Number two, oh, this one hits home, trying something again and again. And then number one, flying or soaring through the air. See, now this list just, it almost just makes me enraged. Uh, because like people, people are having flying dreams as their number one. Lots of people have flying I've, dreams. I've I like, do not have. Yeah, them. I've had like two flying dreams I can remember. I've and then oh, and then sexual experiences. I've I've rarely have a sexual <laughs> dream. And uh, now I should have I should add the the caveat here that I remember. Right. Uh, big aspect of dreaming is you know to what extent are we able to then recall what we have dreamt. Uh, when we wake up. Yeah. Uh, I, I hate that the thing I definitely identify with most on here is trying something again and again. Yes. Like the dream about how you just need to do something that should be really simple and you should be able to do it, but you try and you try and you try and you can't and it just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, or like, like one of my most recent dreams uh, I will share with everyone is that that I was trying to move a horse across, um, uh, you know, like from one city to another in a horse trailer and Glenn Danzig was helping me. What? Or he was supposed to help me, but he was absolutely no help at all. And it was super frustrating, and I kept having to to reattach the horse hitch, um, which is uh, or the hitch on the trailer, which uh, the trailer hitch, which was you know which was extra frustrating because like nothing in this dream had anything to do with what with with like actual real life uh, struggles. Right. Like I'm not dealing with horses or horse trailers. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's that's interesting stuff again because sort of like the school dream now, it's not relevant to your life at this moment. So what's going on? Is it a mm -hmm. metaphor for something that is relevant to your life in this moment or is it just a sort of like thought pattern or memory pattern that's being retrieved for no good reason? And and I guess the perplexing thing and uh, about anything like this is that since we we have this fan this fantastic ability to uh, to make connections and things, mm -hmm. and, and even like random assemblages, you know, we can come up with a story if we if we analyze it enough, we can say like, oh yeah, well this is like clearly the horse represents this, and the trailer represents this, mm -hmm. and Glenn Danzig represents that. Uh, you know, you can come up with a version of it that makes sense, but then does that have anything to do? at all with the the origin of the dream. Exactly. I mean, that might be a personally useful story to come up with. I, mm -hmm. I can see how it could be useful for, for people to interpret their dreams, even if the interpretation they come up with actually has nothing to do with the cause of those thoughts arising in their head while they're sleeping. Yeah, but I, I do agree. This is, <laughs> uh, I, I joke about it being enraging, but it is a very interesting list. Yeah. It's like swimming dreams. Swimming is on here. I never, I'm, I I rarely, if ever, have a swimming dream. You swim all the time, I swim don't all you? Time. I swim, uh, you know, every morning if I can, uh, and yet it doesn't really factor into my dreams at all. Huh. But okay, to mention it again, back to our, our subject, this theme known as school teachers and studying is number five, the fifth most common theme of dreams uh, in people responding to this massive online survey. 
But simply checking a box that says a recent dream included themes of school teachers are studying doesn't really tell you all that much, right? Like it would be useful to have more granular detail. What exactly usually happens in the most common school-based dreams? What level of school does it apply to? Are the dreams good or bad? I imagine they're probably mostly bad, but I don't know. Uh, I've got, you know, hunches, but has anybody actually looked into this? And so the answer is I, I was not able to find a rigorous study characterizing the school dreams like this. Mm-hmm. But I did find at least one informal survey of, of these dream experiences. So uh, to look at that, I was reading a blog post about this on Psychology Today by the Boston College research psychologist Peter Gray. And he had obviously noticed the same trend about adults having school dreams long after they leave school or graduate. And by the way, the post had a great deadpan title that does give away the findings, but uh, it's worth reading. It is, they dream of school and none of the dreams are good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I certainly can't think of a good school dream that I've ever had. They've all been, at the very least, boring and tedious, if not, uh, you know, anxious. Yeah. Uh, So Gray used his online platform to conduct an informal survey about the nature of school dreams and their emotional valence. Uh, Now, remember, again, this is an informal survey, not scientific data. So there's no attempt to randomize participation or blind respondents about the purpose of the inquiry. So there could be selection effects biasing the responses here. Uh, But with that strong caveat in mind, what, you know, if it's a starting place, what did he find in this survey? Well, first of all, he looked into what was the level of school that people dreamed about. By far the most common was high school. 73% of dreams involved high school. Uh, And these responses are going to add up to more than 100% because people can report dreaming about more than one level of school. But like high school, 73%, college, 34%, elementary school, 12%, middle school, 7%. Were the dreams good or bad? Uh, As alluded to in the title, the dreams were overwhelmingly (laughs) bad. On a one to five scale with one being very pleasant and five being very unpleasant, nobody rated any recurring school dream better than a three. Almost all dreams were rated a four or a five. Common emotions identified by the dreamers in these dreams include anxiety, panic, shame, embarrassment, and helplessness. That sounds about right. Uh, He found that the dreams continued for decades after people graduated from school, and they were extremely common in people in their 30s and 40s, but much older people still reported them. Uh, And back to the question of, like, what are these dreams like? What actually happens in them? Plenty of things happen, but he found the two most common among the people who replied to his survey were... Missing classes all term and therefore being likely to fail. This seems like it goes right along with this, Mm -hmm. you know, this archetype we talked about at the beginning. And then second, being unable to find the classroom. This is the one you were less familiar with, right, Robert? Yeah, I I don't think I've had this one, but it totally makes sense. Uh, I mean, I I remember from real life at times having that issue, like trying to find a classroom or trying to find where the classroom has moved temporarily. I mean— It seems like the kind of thing I would have dreamt about, but I did not. Well, another interesting thing that I've found when people collect these anecdotes of people's school anxiety dreams is that they're not only common among people who struggled in school or actually experienced feelings of helplessness in classes. It seems they're very common, at least also, maybe even more so, among people who were successful as students and who did well in their classes. Yeah, I mean, you, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're you're stress-free about it, right? Right. But I guess now we've got to turn to the question of why. Why these school dreams for decades after people leave school? You might be in your 50s, you might be in your 60s, and you're still having the dream where you forgot you were enrolled in Russian calculus and you've got to show up and take the exam. 
why does that happen? Why does that take hold of our brains? Why are we not instead replacing those dreams with dreams about things that are affecting us in the present? I think it's, yeah, it's a great question. And my, my sort of gut answer is, it would be that we live very boring lives. You know, like, <laughs> like I, I legitimately want, I did a little looking around for this and I couldn't find a good source, but my, my immediate question is like, how would this kind of data match up with people who instead of going to college, uh, like were, were drafted into the military? Mm-hmm. Like what would this data look like, say from, uh, you know, more from like a World War II era um, uh, you know, a, a group of uh, subjects. I was really curious about that too. And like, uh, as we said, you know, the the data we have seem to be affected by like the mm-hmm. the selection problems that exist in a lot of uh, current psychological literature. But yeah, if there is data like that out there somewhere, I, I, and somebody knows about it, please send it our way. I would love to see that to see if that's different. Likewise, this would be a great area to hear from just our listeners. Like, what has you, what's your experience? If you, especially if you didn't, if if you were say drafted into the military or joined the military, like right after high school, like mm-hmm. what do you have more of? Do you have more like boot camp dreams or military dreams or even combat dreams, mm-hmm. or do you have more high school dreams? Like, I wonder, wonder like what has the most potency? I mean, are, I wonder also, are school dreams common among people, say, who didn't go to high school? Yeah. Maybe if you only have an elementary school education and, you know, you went on straight to a career after that, do you still have anxiety dreams about elementary school? Right. Or do you have dreams about, like, the trials that take place at that the high school age stage of your life? Right. Like entering the workforce or, uh, you know, what, whatever happened to, you know, fill those years. Yeah, I wish we had more information about that, but that's a very interesting question. All right, on that note, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. All right, we're back. So in trying to answer this question of like why school anxiety dreams seem to be so common among people who went to high school or college but have been long out of it, you know, like high school is not something that's still a pressing concern for them and yet they have nightmares about it or at least anxiety dreams about it frequently. Yeah, like you can forget everybody's name that you went to high school with, but you still have these dreams. Uh, I was reading an article by the science writer Stephanie Pappas about this, and and she led me to some interesting thoughts that I I don't think I would have connected to automatically. But this was this was cool. So, so she's looking at the same question, and one idea she brings up that I thought was was a very interesting possibility is an association with what's known as the reminiscence bump. Robert, were you familiar with this? No. Okay, I wasn't either, but um, but it makes sense based on some other things I've read. So the reminiscence bump is the tendency for people to have better recollection of stuff that happened when they were in their late teenage years in their early 20s and better recollection of that stuff than any other point in their lives. So, for example, older adults, you take somebody maybe in their 50s or 60s or 70s, they will seem to have greater access to more vivid memories with more accuracy at the t- uh, referring to things that happened at the time they were maybe 16 to 25 and less access to memories with less accuracy dealing with things both before and after this. And many studies have demonstrated the reminiscence bump. I think this is a, a well-established phenomenon. Well, I could see that yeah, being a, you know, a direct factor in this then for sure. Yeah, it's possible. So we'll continue to think about this. But to look a little bit more closely at the reminiscence bump, if you want to imagine basically the quality or salience of memories throughout the life, in general, 
the quality and quantity of autobiographical memories is, is not equal across time, and there's sort of an S-curve in lifetime memory retrieval. For example, adults tend to remember very little from before the age of five or so. This is sometimes referred to as childhood amnesia. Memories increase from here, and you get this curve going up where the older you get, the more memories you have from that period, and it peaks sometime around the early 20s. Like late teens, early 20s, that's that's the golden time for having the most memories that are most easily retrieved. And that could, that's also a reason perhaps that you know, like so much of the nostalgia that is marketed at you is going to be marketed at things from that period of your life. Oh, yeah. Actually, uh, now I don't remember who made this point, but somebody I was reading made this point. I'm sorry. I can't remember the name. Uh, pointed out the, the connection between this and the cycle of remakes in mm-hmm. films that oh, there yeah. seems to be about a 20-year lag. Uh-huh. And that would tie in with like the stuff you remember coming out when you were 20 years old, you being ripe to like go engage in nostalgia for that or even participate in making the remake when you're 40. Interesting. Okay. But anyway, after this increase in in the retrieval of memories from around the early 20s, they de- your, your ability to retrieve memories declines again from later periods. So older adults remember less from their 30s and 40s. Though, of course, uh, no matter what age we are, we tend to recall recent events better. So whatever – wherever you are in the age range, the memory, of course, from the last few years will usually be pretty good. So no matter what your age is – if you're after, you know, 30s or 40s, you're going to have kind of an S-curve with it peaking up again for more recent things. So we can definitely see how this could be related. It could be relevant uh, to the lifelong power of school-related terror. And it, it seems to line up especially with the observation that the majority of school-related dreams are not about, like, elementary school, but they tend to be about high school and college. So that could be because school anxieties are common for people who attend high school and college in their late teens and early 20s, and these themes are especially salient and easy to access in memory for dream content. But I I guess this forces us to ask the question, if the reminiscence bump plays a role in the prevalence of school-related dreams, why do we have a reminiscence bump in the first place? Like, why would we remember this part of our lives better than other parts of our lives? And there have been a lot of hypotheses to explain this pattern. I think it's something that, you know, it's not fully answered yet, but there's a lot of research and thought about this. An early idea was that maybe this is just the time of life when, like, the brain is physically most adept. It's, you know, your brain is at optimized high potential. It's making memories best then. Those em- those memories are easiest to retrieve later. Well, one one possibility that I think ties directly in with this uh, that, that, you know, I'll come back to later on is that uh, this is a, a time period. This is the teenage brain. And uh, we've talked about the teenage brain on the show in the past about how it is it is wired a little differently. Like the different, there are different priorities for the teenage brain. Uh-huh. For instance, with making social connections. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, like that is there because you would need to make connections with new people. You would need to branch out and uh, and and become a part of other groups and it would be necessary for your survival. Mm-hmm. So like the, the teenage brain is is wired for this passage into a new phase of life. Uh, so the, yeah, that could be part of it for sure. Well, I want to come back to that in a second because who's the who's the personality that you need most importantly to make a connection to for social relevance? It's yourself, mm. right? That's like identity formation period. Yeah. So so we'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, there's another explanation that seems to have gained some credence after the the initial thing about maybe the brain just being good at making memories then. 
Um, it has to do with the nature of life in late teens and early 20s. Maybe we remember this period best because for many of us, this is the period when life is filled with the most variety and novelty. Remember when we talked about uh, the the sort of the the psychological dilation of time? Experiences that feel like they're taking the longest actually take up the shortest time in our memory, and they sort of collapse because these are the mundane, boring, grinding experiences. An hour waiting in line for something feels like it takes forever, but it takes up almost no space in your later memory. Meanwhile, uh, a novel experience that you've never done before is very strange and challenging to you goes by in an instant in the moment, but then in your memory, it takes up this expansive character. And thus, the the faster your time seems to go by in the present, the more time you seem to have had to experience life in your memory. Yeah, two of the prime examples of this are frequently, of course, a vacation. And ultimately, that's one of the great things about a vacation because you have You've changed the uh, the way you're interacting with novelty in your life. Mm. Uh, a, the darker example, though, would of course be a traumatic occurrence, right? Uh, where it is it is also impacting your life in a a novel way. Uh, but in both cases, those can be things that where it just seems like time is super sped up in the moment, like mm-hmm. things are just rushing past you and then it's over. Yeah. But then when you think back, that time is way stretched out. It represents more life than the, you know, the week before that where there was, there was just a mundane work week. Yeah. Uh, another example of this is frequently uh, one's uh, wedding. If you've had a mm-hmm. wedding ceremony, like it, it's, it's really become kind of a trope, right? That it will, it will just fly by. You'll barely have a chance to experience it yeah. in the moment. But of course, it will be this thing that you think back to. Uh, you know, for the rest of your life. Right. And this does seem to go along with some psychology and neuroscience. It's well known that the brain essentially encodes stronger memories of novel experiences than of routine ones. You're going to have a, a weaker memory of things that you've done a million times and just happened to do again the other day mm-hmm. than of something that was really unusual and, and new for you. Uh, just for example, I, I was reading an article about the reminiscence bump by Katie Waldman in Slate, and she pointed out that uh, there was a 1988 study that found that 93% of vivid life memories concern unique or first-time events. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, that would make sense. I mean, just if you look at memory as just a sheer, like, cataloging of events uh, or occurrences that may prove useful later. Mm -hmm. Like, the ones that are going to be highlighted are like, oh, this one never happened before. Well, we better better mark this one. We better make sure this one's nice and vivid because this could be useful if this thing were to happen again. Exactly. But this theory has some challenges to explain the reminiscence bump. For example, a, a big problem... A lot of the memories that people report experiencing through their reminiscence bumps, so you ask somebody to say, okay, you know, what are the things you, you know, remember in your life and make a list of autobiographical details. A lot of them are going to be in their, say, early 20s or late teens or something, but a lot of these experiences are not, in fact, novel experiences. They'll remember something mundane from that time period. Well, like when I think back to high school, I I don't think I have any definitive me- uh, memories of specific tests that I was stressed out about. You know, right? It's it's like these these dreams seem to be occurring from just a generalization of uh, of of anxiety that I was feeling at the time. Yeah, and so Waldman's article points actually to something that that I found really interesting, and this comes back to the point you were making earlier that we were both talking about earlier. Another theory that's become popular and gained some traction in explaining the reminiscence bump is that the reminiscence bump occurs in the late teens and early 20s or its peaks then 
because this is a time full of memories that people come to see as self-defining. Mm. These are autobiographical narrative experiences that come to mind when we're asked to think about our identity, who we are. And so experiences and, – and studies have shown this uh, – experiences that we see as self-defining occupy a privileged place in our memory even if they occur at other stages of life. But apparently it's just very common for self-defining experiences to be clustered in your late teenage years and in your 20s. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean this, this is this, this time of, uh, of expansion in our life, this time of stepping from one, uh, one stone across in the stream to another. Yeah, and so normally when we think about self-defining memories, we want to drift towards the positive, right? And so if you are asked to make a list of like I am statements about yourself, mm -hmm. so, you know, make list 10 statements about you saying like I am this, I am that. And then after that, I say take every one of those I am statements and make a list of specific autobiographical memories you have that mm -hmm. that that illustrate this fact about you, that you are this thing people will tend to make lists of a lot of things from their like teenage and early 20s period. But studies find that, that people can have uh, – can if people have self-defining experience at other periods in their life, they will remember these other periods in their life very well also. Uh, so, so it could just be that there's this unfortunate like timeline coincidence, 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 that uh, the timeline of when you're in high school and when you're in college happens to line up pretty well with the timeline of when you're figuring out who you are and making memories that will last the rest of your life to help you make sense of your life and your, and your narrative arc. Absolutely. Yeah. I, th I think those two line up uh uh, you know, rather nicely. Now, but then again, uh, in, in that article I was talking about by Stephanie Pappas, she also interviews Michael Schreddel, who's in charge of the sleep laboratory at the Central Institute of Mental Health in Mannheim, Germany. Yeah, he's the same author of that uh, right. the nightmare survey that I referred to earlier. Yeah, and one of the studies I referred to earlier, the 2014 survey. Uh, and Schreddel does not agree with the the reminiscence bump theory. He he thinks that dreams stem from the brain trying to deal with problems it's facing in the present, perhaps by way of analogy. And and he tells her, "quote The examination dreams are triggered by current life situations that have similar emotional qualities." And I, I mean, obviously, I you know he he's the expert on this. I'm not, but I I have some issues with that because if this is true. I feel like in a way it still doesn't answer the question. Like let's say that all school anxiety dreams are actually functioning on a kind of unconscious system of metaphors. Mm -hmm. It's the brain working over current problems and obstacles by presenting a strange metaphorical scenario that has similar emotional qualities. We don't know that's the case, but let's assume that's the case. Yeah, like for instance, you're not – looking for a classroom in which you have to take an exam, but perhaps you're looking for something. Perhaps you're not concerned about failing a test, but perhaps on, like you're concerned about being judged in one fashion or another. Exactly right, yes. So if that's the case, the question remains, why is school so prevalent as the metaphor that the brain chooses even later in life? If for some reason it must default to a metaphor, why not one from more recent experience? Why aren't all the 50-year-old's anxiety dreams about school replaced with dreams about other anxiety-inducing situations from the past month or the past year of their life? 
Why go back to this time? So I feel like that that could be true, but it wouldn't necessarily answer the question of why school in the dreams. Now, as I believe we mentioned earlier that uh, dream anxiety dreams about exams in school, uh, you know, we've mostly been dealing about them after the fact. Right. Uh, you know, 5, 10, 20, 40 years later. Right. But the reality is that we also see these dreams occurring, you know, in real time uh, before the tests occur. Sure. Uh, be- being experienced by actual students. Yeah. And that, that's the time when it totally makes sense. It's more just the mystery of why they occur later in life. But maybe by understanding what role they serve in the moment, you could better understand why they linger in the brain so much. Right. So, yeah, this bring, brings us to this this broader question, right? Could could anxiety dreams actually be adaptive? Are they helping us in one way or another? Yeah, are the contents of them helping us in some way? Right, and and this, again, we come back to sort of the division about dreams and how they work. Does the content matter at all? Mm-hmm. Or, is, or, or are the contents of the dream sort of like the scat that has been extruded by, by the, <laughs> like the, the psychic digestive system of uh, the sleeping mind? Right. Uh, you know, and in this, we end up, you know, coming back yeah, to those big questions. I'm reminded of uh, an interview that we conducted with uh, Dr. Moran Cerf uh, years ago um, on uh, our uh, episode. I believe it was the one about the nine uh, dream worlds of Frederick Van Eden. Uh, and, uh, you know, he talked about there being five different theories out there, predominant theories about dreams that range from importance about dream content that range from importance to non-importance. So, uh. you know, ranging from a, like it's like a defragmentation of the hard drive, you know, erase and keep memories, assorting dreams as emergent narrative, uh, another one. Um, and other ex- extreme examples include, you know, the idea that our, our brain is looking at things that we suppress during the day or that the brain is using the dream to simulate futures for us so that we can act better in the waking world. Uh-huh. And, um, and yeah, so uh, we're looking around and there are some interesting cases to be made regarding these anxiety dreams as being perhaps even being simulations for something that's coming, or at least dealing with stress ahead of an event. Uh-huh. And uh, so one of the papers uh, that we looked at here was, uh, will students pass a competitive exam that they failed in their dreams? Hmm. This was uh, published in 2014 in Consciousness and Cognition. It was by uh, Arnulf et al. So the authors point out that most students in medical school dream about an exam before the exam, and they primarily dream of failure, being late, not being able to answer the questions on the exam, etc., and yet, unlike, uh, you know, with typical anxiety, uh, dreaming of an exam seems to predict higher performance on the exam. Yeah. Uh, so their theory was that uh, dr- it's like your dramatization of high concerns during the dreams may be training the brain for the challenges to come. Hmm. So kind of like let's just hit them with a bunch of like the brain is just hitting you with a bunch of worst case scenarios Yeah. so that you'll be like better emotionally prepared for uh, something more middle of the road. That's really interesting. I mean, I do wonder if that's true, like just mechanically, how does it work? Mm-hmm. You know, literally, how does it increase the brain's ability to actually deal with the test to have the dream about it? Yeah, it also sounds like, like may, I, you know, we don't want to personify the, the, brain, the sleeping brain as being like a, you know, a team of uh, little bitty scientists that are deciding how they're going to, what they're going to roll out, what kind of programming they're going to be presented us with. Uh Because it also seems like, well, okay, if we could go back to the idea that dreams don't matter, and this is just simply, uh, the dream content doesn't matter, and that this is just a, you know, a reverberation of our 
of our concerns during the day. Uh-huh. You know, if you're stressed out, maybe you're, I mean, that's what we do. We mental time travel. We run these scenarios in real time and we think, oh my goodness, what if I don't get there in time? What if I fail? What if I don't get a good enough, good night's sleep before the exam? Uh-huh. Uh, it makes sense that if, if you're worrying about during the day, you're going to worry about that at night. Uh, so it, it becomes, you know, difficult to really characterize the, the, the purpose, if there is one, of the dream content. Yeah. I also looked at a paper titled Inception, The Exam Dream is Real <laughs> by Alan J. Oxford III, published in uh, Penn State Law Review 2015. Okay. This one is also fun because there were a lot of Morpheus quotes oh, what? <laughs> in, the, uh, in the paper. Uh, but but it, was, it was very well written, and, uh, and of course it springs, as the title suggests, from similar situations with law students. Mm-hmm. And the, the paper is, is lengthy and wrestles with the, the viewpoint that while the, you know, the function of sleep and dreaming is vital for our survival, you know, essentially restoring our energy, uh, arguably defragging the hard drive, the content of our dreams uh, you know, may very well be without purpose. Uh, again, according to some of the models, uh, your, the junk in your dreams may simply be there because it's the same junk you've been wrestling with all day, all week, all month as you prepare for your tests. Yeah. So I, you know, I can't help but return to the, this basic scenario of human survival that we've been discussing here. You know, the, these dreams, again, are often relating to periods of great stress and vulnerability. And they are, in a paper tiger sense of things, not unlike states of birth. You know, a process is in place, but there is a potential for things to go very wrong. There's a risk. And in many models of the afterlife, the same scenario is also present in uh, transferring to the realms beyond death. Hmm. Uh, Take Tibetan Buddhism, for instance. One goes through a mental rehearsal, meditation, and practice so as to ensure one's dying consciousness moves safely through all eight stages of death to the death point. Uh, confusing, but, you know, in many ways, enlightening state that uh, may last for many days. Oh, I think about the ancient uh, Egyptian sort of rehearsals for the progress through the afterlife. Yeah, I think very similar uh, scenario. Yeah, it's something where it's like the the journey is stressful. The journey is like birth. Uh And there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong if you're not prepared for it. And, uh, yeah, we see this in various other spiritual models as well. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, for, for most of human history, the, the, the teenage years, you know, a little before, a little after, you know, this, this was a time in which we were making these big jumps out into the world, you know. Mm-hmm. We're, and even in our own lives, like so much of the time, uh, teenage years and then college years, if you go to college or, or entering the workplace, et cetera, like these are dream, these are periods of time in which we have increasing responsibilities mm-hmm. uh, for ourselves and our own destiny, our own fate, however you want to, uh, you know, you want to package it. And, uh, you know, so it, it makes sense that we would come back to this period time and time again in dream, mm-hmm. you know, either the reverberation of the anxiety or just the reverberation of the, the metaphor, you know. And uh, it's, it's, uh, you almost want to think of it as this, this thing in our timeline that is just so potent that it's, you know, it's like sending waves back into the, into the past and into the future at the same time. Yeah. Uh, well, I feel like the question is still unanswered, but I, I think the thing that we've talked about today that appeals to me the most as an explanation is probably the, the – it's, it's tying into what you're saying now. Like the self-identity narrative of the reminiscence bump I think mm-hmm. is, is a – it seems like a very good candidate to me that like if if there is a general context for what's happening in your life at a time when you're making a lot of memories that are highly relevant to what you, what you think about yourself and who you think you are 
then those memories in that context are going to be highly salient in, in memory and will be retrieved effortlessly throughout the rest of your life, even maybe necessarily when you don't want them to be. Yeah. And then, of course, as you're saying, like the, the test just – the test is a perfect metaphor in a way. Mm -hmm. Like it just does fit with so much else that's going to happen throughout our life as a metaphor. Uh because because essentially like every major struggle is in a way a test. Right. And you know, an important test in high school or college, uh it's 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 a perfect example of a paper tiger, right? Because mm -hmm. you're not gonna die if you fail that exam. But certainly failing important exams and tests can have uh you know some some pretty major effects on your life. Mm -hmm. uh, or at least, uh, you know, they can contribute to major t twists and turns in your timeline. Or at least adults will definitely tell you yes. that it contributes a oh, lot. Oh, yeah, th yeah, that's because that's the narrative you're hit with. Like, this is an important test. Like, this could, this could you know, impact whether you get into college or not. Or if you have to go work at the, at the you know, the, the shoe tongue factory uh -huh. uh, where they just make the tongues for shoes. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, so, yeah, a lot of it we can blame our parents for. I agree. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to blame our parents. I just mean that – I mean, I think it is worth th – this should maybe at least tempt us to think differently about what school should be like. I'm not saying – you know, I'm, I'm not saying I know everything about education or, you know, about what's best for – for high school age kids and what's the best way for them to learn. But if high school is causing these – high school and college are causing these horrible, you know, memories that that plague people the rest of their lives and they wake up in a cold sweat thinking about tests, I don't know. That, that could at least maybe be a sign that like there's something structurally about the high school experience that could be different. Maybe. But then I again, I also just wonder – if you're going to have something similar no matter what you're going through at that age. Yeah, like, that's possible. That yeah. it's, again, I wish we had some great data looking at uh, individuals who go directly into military service or, or uh, you know, in directly into the workforce. And, or, and, if, and if in those cases, you're just going to see different dream content stemming from the same life period. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Maybe in, in the future we'll have more robust data to go from on this. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, School dreams, something that I think everybody can relate to. Um, and if you can't relate to it, we definitely want to hear from you about that. Oh, yeah. So basically, no matter you know what your experience, you probably have something to share here. Um, I, I'm not one of those people. You know, some people you know will say, like, you know, you never want to hear about somebody else's dreams. Like, somebody else's dreams are always boring. I strongly disagree. I always want to hear about other people's dreams because even if they are boring, it's telling. Like, you're learning something about the, the inner space that defines someone else. Uh, and then half the time, though, it's really weird and uh, and interesting in its own right. So right into us. Uh, we'll tell you how to do that. But in the meantime, if you want to listen to other episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, you'll find them at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. Uh, where else can you find it? Oh, like everywhere, wherever you get podcasts these days, which seems to be like literally everywhere. Uh, various programs, various services, objects that you find uh, in bathrooms and subway stations. Uh, we're probably on that as well. Wherever you get the podcast, the best thing you can do to help us is to just rate and review us wherever you have the power to do so. If you can leave some stars, you know, on uh, you know this program or that or on a weird object in a bathroom, uh, do so. Leave a nice review and make sure you've, again, subscribed to not only this show, but our other show, Invention, as well. Invention is a weekly exploration of human techno history, one invention at a time. <laughs>
Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producers, Seth Nicholas Johnson and Maya Cole. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback about this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, to tell us about your dreams or your lack of school dreams, or just to say hi, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you.